Hey everyone and welcome to Cozying Up the Clear Cut. This is the last episode of season 7 and it is an extra special episode because I have my co-founder slash COO slash partner in life with me here today, Kyle, um, and we're going to be talking all things diamonds. Thanks for, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. This is your second time on the pod, right? This is the second time on air with you on Cozy Enough. That's very exciting. Um, and we just celebrated our five-year anniversary of The Clear Cut, so we turned five years old, um, which is super exciting because a lot of people say startups don't make it to their five years, so we 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 passed that milestone. Yes, so yeah, I think it's deal. like four years is like the critical inflection point, typically. And we're still here and thriving, so that's awesome. Um, and we just got back from a really exciting trip to Botswana, so we thought we'd share a little bit about our experience there. Yeah. What do you think? I'm into it. So how would you describe the last five years working with me and building the clear cut? Well, I think independent of the clear cut, like the past five years have been some of the craziest years of like everybody's life, True. right? With like COVID. Mm-hmm. So to start a business in a pre-COVID environment, quickly becoming a COVID environment and now coming out of COVID has been such a dramatic experience that it's been hard to like kind of yeah every year is unlike the last which keeps us on our toes um but i think it was really cool so last year we went to botswana for the first time and that was with forbes 30 under 30 the conference and we were able to and even the fact that we went there that year like if you think about it we were forced 30 under 30 in 2020 and weren't unable to go on that trip because of COVID. Right. We're old AF now. And we actually did the trip once we turned 30, post 30. Post 30. <laughs> right. So that kind of speaks to the, like, the chaos of those few years, right? Yeah. And it was, we really wanted to go there specifically. We were excited for that trip because it was a diamond producing country. It's um, a country that does some of the best jobs at their ethical mining and we wanted to go to the source because I think a lot of people have a ton of misconceptions around natural diamonds and um, have never been to a diamond producing country or a mine. So last year we had the opportunity to go to the diamond trading floor at De Beers, but we didn't go to a mine, which was still really awesome to see how all the rough diamonds are like sorted and how the whole system works and how they're polished and cut and people are being trained to do that locally um but this year we were had the opportunity to go to the largest diamond mine in botswana i think in the world no yeah in the world i think it's the largest yeah in the world um the orapa mine and it was i thought one of the coolest things that i've ever done i mean kyle you have a background in mining but very different scale um, a lot of people on TikTok uh, accuse me of uh, only uh, supporting natural diamonds because you currently own a mine and you're funding me, but that's not true. But do you I want- own no mines. Yes, currently own no mines. Um, but do you want to kind of like talk about the difference between your experience in Sierra Leone and, you know, seeing the Orapa mine in Botswana? Yeah, I mean, I lived in Sierra Leone for three years, right? And there are three like very informative years of my life. And my kind of mission there once i started my first business there was to create a fair trade diamond mining business um and kind of benefiting the local community 
and ultimately it didn't work out due to the Ebola epidemic and you know the business was a failure no mining was done so <laughs> in a way it's like kind of cathartic to then go like you know fast forward almost 10 years go to Botswana and see a country that is doing things correctly and is like is thriving and is like in a well-educated well-developed and like well-funded society and like functioning country all due to diamonds it was like a really powerful and like eye-opening experience so a couple of facts about Botswana um first of all it's one of the you know coolest countries because two-thirds of the country is dedicated to wildlife and it's like preserved for just like animals in their natural habitat so like no matter where you are at any point you can just casually see like an elephant or you know a warthog and it's just amazing to see um these beautiful creatures being able to like just live their life um it's also a country that directly benefits and really utilizes their natural resources which are natural diamonds so I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Botswana and De Beers, which is um, one of the largest diamond mining companies in the world, they have a 50-50 joint mining partnership called Deb Swana in Botswana. So that means all of the mining rights are split 50-50 between De Beers and the government of Botswana. And the government of Botswana actually owns 15% of all of De Beers. So that means wherever else they mine, Canada, Namibia, South Africa, Botswana directly benefits from it. And that money goes to giving every single person in the country a free education through their master's degree, which is insane because in the U.S. everyone has to take out so much debt and that's not an issue there. Um, they have free health care. People have free housing. And it's just like something that is really cool to see. Yeah. And I think, you know, because it's maybe more clickbait and it's more like, you know, dr- dramatic, there's like a lot of rhetoric around diamonds about how horrible they are for local communities and how terrible they are. But the reality is, if you look at Botswana, you know, it's a country that was extremely poor at its independence because diamonds had not been discovered yet. I think that's one of the reasons why diamonds have proven to be so lucrative for them is they, they discovered them post-independence when they were in control of their destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a poor country that relied primarily on some cattle farming for Europe, and that was about it. There were It's one of the least densely populated countries in the world, and there really wasn't much there. Um, but when diamonds were discovered and over the past you know, 50 plus years, the country has made a lot of intelligent and really savvy moves to capitalize on, on, on their natural resources. Like the president, what he always says is, without Botswana, there are no diamonds and without diamonds, there's no Botswana. And I think like that's just so cool to see. And, you know, I think- Especially uh, with the rhetoric that we hear here. Yeah, and it's like, a lot, what's, what's ironic is so many people were like, will go to these countries and go on safari and like kind of, you know. Enjoy all the things that natural diamonds give to these countries, but not really. But, but not con- make connect the dots, you know. So it's really, really powerful to see like, you know, they, you know, when they even negotiated their last contract to De Beers, they forced De Beers to move their headquarters for all diamond sales in the world from London to Haberone, Botswana. You know, they, they forced them to have a 50-50 joint partnership on the mining. So they... They've demanded that they be treated as equals and the people of the country have really benefited. And I think they've recognized that this is a country um, where diamonds may run out one day because, again, 
contrary to some of the rhetoric out there, diamonds are scarce and finite resource. They were all created billions of years ago. They're older than the stars in the sky. There are no new diamonds being formed. So when they inevitably run out of diamonds, they need to make sure that they've made the correct investments in their society that they can you know, last beyond that. And so they, they've looked at Dubai as an example of a country that's taken a natural resource and, and transformed their, the, the region. And they want to be the Dubai of Africa. Yeah, and I thought um, it was interesting to hear when we went to Arapa, they said they had about like 30 more years left of that mine. So they're, they're already thinking forward when, you know, diamonds eventually do run out or natural diamonds, which is why, you know, they are scarce and valuable. And I know, you know, like from someone who did work in Sierra Leone and like saw, you know, the mining sector that in Botswana, 99.7% of the employees at Debswana are Botswanian. Like they're not I- importing like workers from other countries, which you see a lot in like infrastructure projects um, in Africa or other kinds of projects in Africa. Like this is like local, pretty high skilled labor, like, you know, capitalizing on the resources of their own country. And that's like, that's really encouraging to see. Yeah. What I also thought was just the coolest thing was um, since we've been there twice now and we went with Forbes the first time, we like made some local friends from the first time we were there that we got to see again. And just hearing, um, you know, their perspective on diamonds, we're like, so what do you guys think about diamonds? Like, tell us the truth, because, you know, we're fl- fed a lot of rhetoric and you'll see on TikTok or the media, it likes to sensationalize things and say, oh, blood diamonds are our children like mining here and like people are dying. I literally asked like local Botswanans and they were like, that is so weird. There are no like children working on mines. Like you need to like have a master's degree to like work on the mines or like everyone wants to work at Debswana. You get so many benefits. So it is just like a really strange contrast. And I think, you know, this is kind of a hot take, but by like perpetuating that blood diamond and like that African stereotype, you're actually like, perpetuating kind of like colonialist tropes that hold down these people that are like proud of their country and proud of their resources and are like you know yeah i mean the reality (laughs) is like when you're saying things like that it is yeah you you're i don't want to be the point canceling people and calling people racist no we're not canceling but it's like you basically are creating a false picture of like a colonial like these people are just subjects to the land and whatever when the reality is they have ownership of their land they are full control of their resources and they're benefiting from them um yes but that's a little more nuanced and that's not as sexy of like a documentary to make well the media like loves clickbait stuff and it's just like an easy thing to like sensationalize that so i think that's where we fall in um but but i do agree with you like for me, the really cool part now going two consecutive years to Botswana and having gone initially through Forbes is to be amongst your peers, like at the time people under 30, and like form relationships with them outside of the propaganda potentially of corporations or government officials or whoever. Like you're talking to just citizens and business leaders in Botswana and to hear their take on it is like refreshing because it's also. rewarding to be part of something that it is doing good for no and i think the story just needs to be told more um more people need to you know we need to bridge that gap and talk to more people that are from diamond producing countries or like open up this narrative or like show what's good because i think for so long everything in the industry in general and that's why the diamond industry has like 
a reputation of being like opaque or like you know kind of sketchy because just like when we started and we wanted to be you know transparent with pricing or specs or things like that which are like basic things that everyone wants now um we need to be transparent about origin and you know mining practices where things where are diamonds going back to and i think that is the the future of the natural diamond industry and it's such a necessity um now that things are being you know traced on tracer yeah i mean that's the thing okay like we started this conversation like looking back five years ago right right, right, right. Mm-hmm. if you look forward five ten years like where is the diamond industry heading and it's pretty clear the, the word is transparency like mm-hmm. you know web3 and like blockchain technology is actually being more leveraged in this space than many others despite how antiquated it is because customers are demanding transparency customers want to know where these products were from what what how they were treat how they were sourced and and whether they were ethical or not and and i think this should go for um lab grown diamonds as well like i think you need to know if you are buying it for whatever reason whether it's your engagement ring or another piece of jewelry like is this where is it being created under what conditions and you know, are are we being like greenwashed? Is this like sustainable? Is it being made in the U.S. or is it being made in India or China? And what are like the conditions of the people that are, you know, producing that? Yeah, because the reality is like, you know, two thirds of all the lab grown diamonds in the world are being produced in India and China using primarily coal as the power source. The cheapest way to do lab grown at the moment is UVB, which is using chemical vapor deposi- deposition, deposition. Chemical vapor deposition. Thank you. Um, using methane gas as as the vapor. Um, so these aren't necessarily green um, technologies, but they've been they've been marketed that way. And and I think one of the things that that I how I look at it is I feel like millennials grew up with this movie with Leonardo DiCaprio called Blood Diamond, and so they were informed by that. And I think Gen Z um, has grown up like very skeptical of greenwashing and like they actually care about the planet but don't just need the rhetoric like if you're like millennials you just told them you're doing something green and that was enough i think gen z are like smart enough to like do the research and do their homework and so i think these lab grown diamonds who have like initially come out with this like environmental tilt are gonna quickly realize that like people are smart enough to figure that out um and that doesn't mean that like at the end of the day people don't want a cheaper alternative because it is you know a hundred dollars a carat 150 dollars a carat they're 75 dollars for the cert so so yeah so it's like under a hundred dollars to create these things like that there is some value in that and that like that's a real you know if you're in the moissanite business like that may be that may be troubling but i think you know again diamonds are older than the stars in the sky like there, there's inherent rarity in that i think they you know they're different products um they can be complementary products like our lab grown travel ring um, but they're just not apples to apples. And I think, you know, the media or, you know, there just needs to be more accurate information. There's tons of misinformation out there. And it is hard for a consumer to, like, understand. I think one different- of the, like, most surprising elements of our, like, journey on, like, Naturalverse Lab yes. is, like, you know, we, we made that decision. Like, we were running a business, right? So we made that decision financially as well that we thought long term we wanted to, like, invest in the value of our brand and like stand by our ethics because we thought we'd be rewarded financially by our customers <laughs> and like right like we're not we're not a charity um but at the same time in the short term we left so much money on the table mm-hmm. by not 
charging $15,000 for a two care lab gun that I can buy for $300 like uh, like some other people did because and thought we were doing like the ethical like in our eyes like the ethical you know transparent honest thing and like the amount of anger and like um I don't know trolling for lack of a better word like you've received online is like something I didn't see coming like I saw that like we might like be shocking and like surprise people but I didn't think people would you know like most of your brand like the company's brand but like your personal brand when you because your face on the, on the when you're talking to the camera has been like cheerful and educational and you know we always said we wanted to be like this generation's Judah for life we wanted to be approachable like break down the barriers not be intimidating not be you know elitist and then all of a sudden like you were being called elitist and you know mean and like all these thanks, things thanks kyle thanks for reminding me no but it's like you, you get reminded every day in the comments <laughs> on those posts like it's worth acknowledging that right um and i and i think it's because what's weird is and a lot of products as the price falls the demand rises right because like the less expensive it is the more i want it like supply and demand right lab grown they can't fall below a certain price point without the demand crashing so people get like very and and again the nature of an engagement is it's so symbolic no one wants to buy something or have something that represents their commitment to someone be like worthless right so it's like a highly sensitive moment for them but all you're doing is kind of telling them that they've been taken advantage of but i think there's a there's a group of people who would actually prefer and we see it right who are okay overpaying for something because they don't want it to be that cheap you know they'd rather for something right, that's symbolic think, pay for it right and i think like a lot of the hate is just misplaced anger um you know i would feel kind of crappy if i was taken advantage of and i wouldn't like to acknowledge that so someone like coming at my face and telling me that what i spent tens of thousands of dollars on is worthless like i would feel some sort of way too so like i understand but the intention <laughs> is just transparency right always you know? and like that's why you posted the, the invoice and whatever and like you can have debates about the environmental impacts you know debates but not about value like if you're just going to talk about what something's worth like something's worth what people are willing people who are selling us lab grown for 150 dollars a carrot are making money off us that's why they're selling it to us you know yes um so it's just a shame that people are overpaying and, and i think over the long term like your margin is my opportunity if someone's willing to sell something for 15 someone will sell it for well 14. you know what's interesting like a lot of people don't know that there have been lab-grown synthetic gemstones before diamonds. And I think what's interesting and why we chose to stay natural was because as a graduate gemologist and whenever I speak to other graduate gemologists, we learn mainly about the difference on how to detect synthetic and natural gemstones. And we know how that played out. So so basically in the 1920s, um, technology was already developed to make synthetic emeralds, rubies, sapphires in many different methods. And at the time they thought, oh my God, like this is going to disrupt. No one's going to buy or mine natural gemstones anymore. And over time, you know, it turned into two totally different products where the synthetic gemstones were, you know, very very inexpensive, held no value, and there's still a huge demand for natural sapphires, rubies, and emeralds. Um, now, when you go on QVC and you see pieces that are sterling silver, gold-plated, and they have synthetic gemstones in it, great, there's a market for that. But if you are going to graph or, you know, 
a luxury jewelry house or Sotheby's or Christie's, they're not going to be auctioning those things off. So those are two totally different products. So we were like, well, we are an attainable luxury company, but we are a luxury company. If we want to be, you know, your jeweler for life, we need to be standing by all of our products, which is what we went into the business you know, with the intention of. So that's why we're like, oh, well, obviously not do lab grown. We don't do salt and pepper diamonds. We don't do moissanite. We don't sell CZ. So why would we do lab grown? It's a different product. I mean, and even, you know, if you want to get into it, even again, to get into the technicalities of it, mm-hmm. even amongst natural diamonds, we don't sell color enhanced diamonds. We don't sell laser drill no. diamonds. All, every lab grown diamond is a color enhanced diamond. So even on the natural side, the, the treatments that they're doing to that, we won't even do on a natural. Right. So, I know it's a little like nuanced, but yeah. it's like important. So I think that's like where it, you, it, we just came with like this background and knowledge like in that part of the industry, which is what informed this decision. And I think a lot of people don't even know that synthetic gemstones exist or like what happened to them over the past like hundred or so years. So that's kind of us looking forward. Yeah. And I think, you know, the big picture, again, it doesn't need to be natural or slab they are two completely different products and one is trading you know for tens of thousands of dollars a carat you know whatever one's trading for hundreds of dollars or hundred dollars a carat and that's okay and like you know i think we're going to continue to use them as travel rings i think if that's you know your starter ring and you want to start off as a lab grown just don't overpay for it you know and 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 an, an engagement ring that's natural may be more aspirational at some point in your life and that's that's okay one way that we will use lab grown diamonds um now and moving forward is for our travel ring program so if you purchased a natural diamond engagement ring from the clear cut you are eligible to get a free lab grown diamond for a travel ring so if you spent between 10 to fifteen thousand dollars on your ring you can get a free one carat lab grown between 15 to 20k a one and a half carat lab grown and 20k and above a free two carat lab grown diamond for a travel ring so this really started because in the past our clients you know a lot of times when they're traveling they didn't want to like risk losing their ring or you know damaging it when they were doing an activity or traveling somewhere so we would make a replica ring with a cubic zirconia but cubic zirconia doesn't really look that much like a diamond Um, and now that lab grown diamonds are so inexpensive we're able to offer the travel ring with a lab grown which looks you know way better than a cz but you don't have to worry about losing it or damaging it if you are going abroad or doing any sort of activity that you might not feel comfortable wearing your natural ring or you know the ring that you got engaged with because there's you know sentimental purposes yeah and i think um full circle you know you can agree with us or disagree with us on natural versus lab that's your opinion but botswana yeah Botswana is non-debatable it's a beautiful country I would highly encourage everyone to visit um support that country go to the Okavanga Delta it was like the most beautiful place I've ever been everyone speaks English it is way safer than New York yes oh Um, my god it is clean everyone's so nice I think they have the largest we should get sponsored by like Botswana tourism well I just would like to go back to Botswana so if they want to sponsor us so I think we started this with you asking me how the last five years have been. Mm-hmm. So we can end it with how do you think you want the next five years to be? Oh, my God. I mean, obviously, I want all 
the good stuff i want it to be i want to keep growing i want to keep building our amazing community i want to keep developing amazing tech so we are this generation's jeweler for life and i hope to with all the craziness in the world who knows what's happening next be able to you know turn chaos into success well i think what's what's nice is like we're in a space where we yeah, yeah. we're in a space where we're with people who are like some of the happiest moments of their entire life and that like lasts far longer than you know the pieces we make are going to outlive us you know yeah. and so i think that's that's something that's really beautiful and, and like we're really fortunate and it's a big responsibility we're lucky we're lucky we get we're in this part of the business because because diamond is forever oh my god no <laughs> no kyle but yes kind but, of but kind of but kind of but kind of I mean, my ring is super old. I don't even know who owned my ring before my mom owned the ring. But in the future, <laughs> you would because it's going to be on the blockchain, even with our NFT. Yes. Right. So, so. <laughs> the future is brilliant. How many more cheesy uh, lines do you want me to end this with? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. We can do this forever. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Class right. is dismissed. Oh, my God. Stop <laughs> it. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to us blab about things that we're really passionate about. I hope you found it interesting. Let me know if you guys have any questions. Class is dismissed. (laughs) You just listened to the end of season seven of Cozying Up with a Clear Cut. We have so much exciting things in store for next season, so definitely stay tuned.